I've got. Okay, so are you ready? I am ready. Do you mind that I have a halo? <laughs> no, 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 that's, that halo is nice. I like that halo. <laughs> it's a divine halo. Okay, so okay. welcome everyone to Angel Wing uh, video podcast and audio podcast. Um, this is Sachin Karnik here from the Quantum Transformation Wing of the organization. We are today here with Dr. Elizabeth Berman, uh, who is a licensed psychologist in Wilmington, Delaware. She has many years of experience in psychology and uh, quite a bit of education study, as well as uh, a personal and professional experience uh, that has a wide range. So I'm going to ask her a couple of questions uh, today to continue our uh, further exploration for the Angelwing program uh, as a benefit and as a service to humanity overall, and of course, to all the people who are uh, tuning in. So uh, Dr. Berman, in going through many of your uh, audio recordings and your conversations, your Wednesday evening presentations, the one thing that runs through, like there's a central theme that seems to run through all of your teachings and all of your ideas, and that has to do with contraction and expansion of energy, which we have talked about before. I wanted to probe, uh, this, probe this a bit further because it is, a, is a, it is an idea that many people have not heard before. And as we're expanding the organization, uh, this is going to come up uh, again so that we want to capture some more depth in this. Um, so just to kind of start off with, we all have a sense that we have energy. Sometimes we feel low energy, high energy. We kind of have an intuitive sense of what that is. Um, then we also have a sense that there's a mind inside. So we understand that, we understand to some extent that there's energy flow. Um, when you are using this expression, contraction and expansion of energy, um, the way I understand this is that there is a core energy, a root energy that can expand within the mind, within the body, within the mind and that has impact outside. And they can also take contracted forms. So what is your fundamental understanding and viewpoint regarding energy and its contraction, energy and its expansion, energy and its stabilization? Well, to begin with, uh, I find it easiest for me to organize my experience, my understanding, and then my attempts to integrate new experiences into what I already know by <clears throat> starting with the foundation assumption that everything is energy. <coughs> Excuse me, um, our computers, are energy in a very solid form. Our bodies are energy in solid form. Um, when we talk about form, there has to be some solidity to outline it from what everything that's not that form. Um, so understanding and, and so thoughts are what I would term mental energy. Um, emotions are what I would term emotional energy. Um, my body is a physical energy. Actual physical pain is registered as the energy feeling pain or 
um, I can feel expansion in my body also. Uh, so that basic foundation that if I start with everything is energy, it helps me to sort through my experience of the world around me and the world within me, within my body, within my mind, within my emotional field. And what, having said that, because if everything is energy, energy's got to have some qualities to it that my human mind can understand. And one of the basic ones that I work with is energy can either show up in a contracted form or in an expanded form. And I would say, we all know this intuitively, perhaps we've never thought about it using this particular language, but when you're frightened, upset, in pain, if you pay attention to your body, you usually find a contraction of the muscles, even typically a contraction of the posture, as opposed to in um, a lovely state of happiness, perhaps even joy. There's this sense that the body is opening up, the, the feeling of connection with things around us, is much more real and much more accessible. So I would talk about that as a, an expanded experience of energy. And sometimes in terms of, of an emotional continuum, you can say hate and fear, perhaps fear is more basic than hate. So let's say fear it anchors a very contracted end of the energy, emotional energy continuum and love in love in its most expanded form love simply for the experience of loving not as an exchange for something else is a very expanded form of an emotional energy joy is also very expanded form and you can see that expansion doesn't necessarily mean activity because there are some moments of joy that are very quiet, but so expanded. Others, children express joy with a lot of movement and smiling and perhaps even yelling joyously. So we see that <clears throat> expansion can take many different forms on the third dimensional plane that we see with our, and hear and taste and whatever with our senses. Okay, so, uh as you are talking about that, in our day-to-day -day experience, there are probably more, more states of contraction than expansion in the ordinary person's life. Uh, would you say that that's true? I would say that's true. And I would say that that's not the human condition as perhaps we'd call it a birthright. Um, because when we look at newborns, they typically, when their basic needs for food, shelter, and comfort, you know, they, they don't have a terrible diaper rash that's irritated by a wet diaper, they, they're very peaceful, yeah. right? And very um, expanded in the sense of 
as newborns grow, you can see as their senses kind of come online, their brain starts responding to sensory input that they're very open to going out, right? In the beginning, it's going out through their eyes and maybe going out through the sounds that the ears are responding to. So I would say that's more a natural state of the human condition prior to what society does to us. And I've only lived in this society and this culture at this time. And I would say that so much of what we do in response to the societies and the cultures that we're living in is pushing us so hard to do way too much. It turns out that all these energy saving devices that technology um, has come up with actually just mean that people expect us to do even more than they did before we had our energy saving devices. And there's this underlying tension, which is contraction, as I understand it and experience it, that we're not doing enough and we're not doing it fast enough. And so we try to multitask and that's always a really bad idea because we don't have our full attention on one thing and we make mistakes and we don't do it well. And it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy of I didn't do it right or I didn't do it perfectly. And so there's this constant state of tension in our lives. That's the first thing that's immediate environmental influence on us leading to contraction. The other thing is simply in terms of our biology and what the brain we've inherited through um, the history of our ancestors, homo sapiens, that our brain is programmed to look for danger, to look for problems. Um, they've even identified a section of the brain. It's the default mode when the brain is not focused on solving a specific problem. It just goes to kind of this hyper alert um, vigilance of looking for what's wrong now, what's wrong now, what could possibly go wrong? What do I need to be paying attention to now? So this kind of negative bias in our own brain, in our own biology, we have to work to recognize that that's a part of who we are. It's a part of our consciousness and the way the mind works. And um, through education, learn ways to relax ourselves, consciously choose to relax ourselves. Good news is, the breath is one of the best ways to do that. And we also inherit lungs and a posture and a body that does that breathes that breathes great when it hasn't been poisoned or diseased in some way. Our lungs work great. And even as a baby, we use our belly to let our diaphragm lower and take in many more. Um, much more air into the lungs. And the simple act of being conscious of your breath 
tends to send relaxation chemicals into the body. It switches from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic nervous system and in the sense of without us even really thinking about, oh, I need to relax now. If we just pay attention to our breath, the body, the brain responds to that immediately, sends this cascade of chemicals, neurochemicals through the body, and the body responds to that with this opening, this relaxation, perhaps even a sigh of, oh, right? The, the letting go of the tension we've been holding. Yes. All right, yes, uh, that's very true. I think we can certainly, we know that we have tension, we have distress at times. Um, going back to a little bit more about just energy, there is the sense of energy being in a potential state, that there's a potentiality mm. that activates that, or that becomes, uh, uh, it, it moves from potentiality into activity. So, yeah. so each human being has a reservoir of energy, has many, has quite a bit of potential or so maybe we could say that there's quite a bit of possibility of the energies that are dormant to awaken in different ways into certain activity so that they can be brought into full expression. Um, if that's actually the case, would you say that that's one of our overall purposes of life? You know, people always ask, what's the purpose of my life? Could we say in a very generic sense, or, or, or are, you, are you stating that part of the, one's life's purpose or maybe the purpose is to bring this energy into full activity, full expression in every possible way that can enliven the individual completely. What do you say about Yes, I agree with that. I agree with throughout, um, I would say, modern history, throughout written, since we've been writing things down and passing it on, there's been this emphasis on know thyself over and over and over. It seems like so much of what's considered great in the Western world, because that's the world I'm familiar with, um, is the literature that in some way embeds this question, who am I and why am I here? To thine own self be true. Well, you have to know who the self is before you can be true to it, right? know thyself. All of these, we find them everywhere. And I think that it requires some education to actually unpack or deconstruct the, the profundity of those very simple questions. And I think that they all relate to the fact that we have DNA and it's out of our DNA that we unfold. We unfold the body that we're born with. We unfold the use of the mind, the brain that, that is influenced by the mind because I make a distinction between the brain and the thoughts from the mind. Um, and, and there's this ever expanding, I think, potential of what we're capable of knowing. I think many people, certainly in my life, I've experienced it and I've had many students, many clients 
who have reached a point where they've had an aha moment of understanding something in a more expanded way. And very often the comment is, is, oh, I knew that. I just wasn't aware that I knew it. So this potential that you talk about in terms of energy that's available to the human being, I think I, in terms of thought, it's, it's that diligence to keep your eye on the prize of answering the question, who am I? Mm -hmm. so, so, so that's the biggest question. The, the, the discovery of the self, what am I, who am I? When we begin to ask this question, we invariably come across the body, the physical body, then we come across mental activity, emotional, cognitive activity, thinking activity, and then fueling all of that is power, is energy. So, so, so my question is, when, when you are referring to the expansion of energy, that would seem to be very much experiential, that, that that's a direct state of being and feeling and becoming and experiencing and living and thriving. It, it, it's not just an idea or just, just listening to some ideas, but it's a very real, very direct, direct, direct experience. Would you, would you say something about that? Yes, it is a very direct experience. So energy is energy, right? And, and I don't know, I'm not a scientist that studies energy and there are probably many different ways of talking about it, but perhaps I can speak of energy, that, that pure primal, um, what there was before there was form, what there was perhaps before there was the word or light or right, that, that there, that is the, the basic, most primal, we can't even call it a thing because if that exists before everything else, that exists. And that's an existential question that I don't think it's really valuable to, for, for this particular conversation. Perhaps then we can talk about diff, the different forms that energy takes and perhaps the energy of fear, right? We all know fear on some level is a very contracted form of energy. And hopefully we all know happiness, if not joy, on, even if it's just nanoseconds of it, that's, an ener that's energy, the primal it, right? <laughs> or that in, a, in an expanded form. And that along that continuum, you, you know, there's complacency, there's, there are, and there are all the energies that humans talk about experiencing. Okay, so is there, is there uh, a possibility of energy expanding to a state where it doesn't expand further? It, it goes to a certain level in that there's a cap on that. Or is it your perspective that it can actually keep growing further and further? Uh, oh, yes, absolutely. That it seems to me that the scientists who talk about the quantum, yes. right, that that's what they're talking about, that this is energy 
that's not bounded by space and time, right. which the scientists talk to us about. These are human constructs to try and make some order out of things and manage it. But their energy, if energy is, is the basic foundation of all, energy is infinite. Our, our thoughts about it are finite, but it's infinite. And throughout history, there have been many, many different people who have talked about how to access higher and higher forms of energy yes. that allow us to understand things from a different perspective. You know, you have that, perhaps you have somebody that you value very much and you read a book that they write or you hear a lecture that they give. And then a year or two later, you come back and you reread or you re-listen to the original lecture. And there's this, oh my gosh, that's what she was saying. Oh, that's what he meant when he wrote that paragraph. There's our ability to conceptualize, to hold in our own awareness has expanded. Exactly. Exactly. So in day-to-day -day purview, we are always connected with other people around us, other places, the external world, the internal world, as we've said before. There is energy exchange going on all the time, even with food. I mean, food is a form of energy we're eating. We have a relationship with food. We have a relationship with all the different drinks that we ingest, water and sodas and, and whatnot. We have uh, a relationship with our family structure, which is also an energy a transfer process. So it seems like there is a dynamic aspect to that raw energy that is moving from one place to another. It's changing, it's moving, it's dynamic. Money is a form of energy. We go to buy something and we spend money in that. Money is a symbolic representation of energy. So it seems like there is a dynamic aspect to all of energy that, that is within our purview. Rather than being a static, static thing, Oh yeah, I, I, for me, uh, I've never thought about it like this particularly, but for me, energy is always moving. Yes. It, I, I, even within ice, right? We think of water, right? It can be ice in a very apparently solid form. It can be liquid. It can be steam, right? It can be all of these different aspects of water per se, yes. but there's always movement. There's always some movement within, even within ice, there's always some movement as well as a potential for further expansion. Our thoughts, you know, my mental activity, the more I study, the more I'm exposed to, the more I think critically about my own experience of what I'm exposed to, my, my ability to think and to hold ever more complex understandings yes. of energy exchanges. You know, you talked about relationship and, and we're, we're a gregarious species. We, you know, the number of people who choose to live monastic lives or go and live in a cave by themselves for their entire life 
are, are very small compared to the people, the rest of us who have some degree of interaction with other life forms. And typically that includes people. I know a lot of people that say they prefer dogs to people, but they, they do in fact live in society and interact. And so I'd like to take just a moment and talk about in a relationship, there are three energy fields. There's my energy field, and we'll take my relationship with you, Sachin, your energy field. And then there's the field of the energy between us that we'll call the relationship energy. And it's made up of the sum of what I put into our relationship and what you put into our relationship. And I think a very profound notion that people could learn from as they think about it and apply it to their lives is that if we try and understand in every interaction, there's a relationship unfolding and that the only control I have is the energy I put into the relationship. We think we can control others, but really in the end, all we can control is the energy we give and the energy we choose to take in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. Because you know, when we talk about um, a relationship, which is very practical, which is very much in our purview, there are many aspects and many forms of that relationship. So um, there are, um, attractions in a relationship. There are commonalities in a relationship. And there can also be quite a bit of disturbance and disconnection in a relationship. Uh, there can be an externalized focus. There can be an internalized focus. Focus. Someone may be just on their, keeping attention just on what they're wanting from, 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 you know, from, from whoever. Some people might be focused completely on their child or their husband or whatever. It's completely external. So. So the awareness of the flow of energy in a relationship, would you say something about that? How to raise that awareness? Um, how to raise that awareness? Well, the first thing is to simply be aware that there is a relationship and the relationship holds energy. Yes, exactly. And it holds my energy and the energy of the other. Now, now there's also the, the memory structure, the memories through which we are seeing another person. It's like the image of the other person, the memories of the other person. And then that person has memories and images about us. So, so we're not looking at that person just like that directly. We're looking through the screen of our memory, through the screen of our images and our, and our biases and all of that. And then, so it seems to me that that distorts energy somehow, that scream. Well, what I would say about that is <clears throat> within every relationship between people, probably between people and animals anyway, yes. but let's just talk about people. Um, there are expectations. Right. Spoken and unspoken. Sure. And one of the very important pieces of information for long-term healthy relationships 
yeah. is to understand that there are always expectations. Sure. And if you take the time over the course of a relationship to honestly look at your own expectations of the other, and then be able to speak candidly about that with the understanding that no one person can meet any other person's 100% of their expectations. So if two people choose to go into that level of conversation about, I expect my husband to X, Y, and Z, right? Well, okay, so, so if someone is going to do that, first of all, there has to be respect. There needs to be the energy of listening in uh, that maybe you can elaborate on that because many times you know we're not even listening to what the other person is saying we, we, before they even finish a sentence we have three things going on in our mind already so we might want to if you say something about that yes and and that's oh. a very important part of education i would say because i'm not sure that we live in a culture that creates enough time, enough really quality time for an infant, a toddler, a young, a young child to have modeled to them over and over again, a parent, a caregiver who is totally and completely present mm -hmm. when we as a child speak to them. So there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? So hearing, are you, I hear you, I hear you. Uh, most teenage, most parents who have had teenagers will say, oh yeah, I know. Are you here? Are you listening? To, yeah, yeah, I hear you. And two minutes later, you ask them a question about what you just said, and they have no idea. So the sound can come into our ear but whether we register it in our brain with attention, that's it, that's you have to be motivated to want to listen. So, so that motivation has energy right there. So, so again, that goes back to using energy in a deliberate way to make it active. So it's active listening. Yes, yes. And, and you know, You'd say, well, maybe people do that when the stakes are really high. Yeah, probably. But think about the quality of our lives if we tried to become people who, if we're choosing to be in a conversation, we choose to do it with in the intention to listen to the other. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, that's a, that's a big thing. I, I mean, that all sounds very good. And I think most people would say that that's what we ought to be doing. Nonetheless, in day-to-day -day life, it doesn't seem to happen as such, as much. So to increase that act of listening, um, what practical tools or suggestions would you give in general to enhance the energy of listening? I would start with disciplining the mind. The mind has so many, so many thoughts. And it just, uh, the brain is wired to move very fast. Take yeah. something in, pass it through, be ready for the next thing. So the brain 
and the mind are moving pretty fast. They're geared, the mind doesn't, I mean, the brain doesn't move physically in space, but it's processing and ready for the next bit of sensory input processing. So that's what I mean by moving fast. Right. To, and, and the mind, we, I don't even remember the number actually, but we have so many more thoughts than we're aware of. So in this background, of, of vague awareness. There's this thought after thought after thought after thought. And if you have some training to pay attention yes. to your own thoughts, you realize that there's no logic and that there's no loyalty in that stream of consciousness <laughs> that within, if you listen long enough, your thoughts will tell you to do three absolutely different things that have absolutely different outcomes with the same intensity. It's just yeah. thought, 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 without any care for the consequences of acting on that thought. And periodically we become aware, we catch a thought that has a, gr it's sticky for us and we can't get rid of it. And we start ruminating on it. And we forget that it's a thought and we begin to think that that's the world we live in. We forget that the thought is generating all of this energy, all of this emotion, all of this story about what's going on. Yes. And we take that for reality, forgetting no, actually, <laughs> this is my mind on a big rant here, justifying itself. So, because it was a sticky enough thought that it generated an emotion and the body got really involved in it. And then the brain gets activated in a certain way. And now we're in this, this big storm of so energy. What is a sticky thought? You, uh, what do you mean by that? I'm a victim. That's a sticky thought, right? And perhaps you grew up as um, a minority in your dominant, in the environment, you know, you're a minority culture or a minority, whatever. Anybody who has dealt with a disability will, will tell you that, it took so long for the Americans with Disability Act to get made into law so that we would even have access for people in wheelchairs right. to, to essential buildings. So there's a way in which we can look at ourselves as not being like we think, again, important word there, think everybody else is, and we can feel that everything misfortunate that's happened to us in our life is because we're a victim and we're a victim because, and we have big stories about how we're a victim. You know, for a while there was the women's movement. So everybody who was in a female body was a victim. And, and there's still some of that out there now. Some of it is reality and some of it is the stories we make up sure. to in some ways make excuses for why things happen to us. And there's a movement now called radical responsibility, right. which starts with the premise that if it's happened to you, you have in some way caused it. And that's radical 
because it requires us to look so closely at our experiences yes. and our thoughts yes. and see if we are in fact victimizing ourselves and are responsible for what we're blaming others for because we give away our power when we blame others. So that's a big thing right there that you know our internal root power, our raw power is lost. It's been destroyed with blame, with the externalized focus without realizing we are the cause to a large extent perhaps of our own issues and problems and entanglements and, and agitations and so many things. And I would even point if it's too radical to say I'm the cause of all of this, yeah. perhaps a better uh, or a place to start is I only have control for me. Right. So if I say, all right, this is on my doorstep, this is in my awareness, right? It's affecting yes. me. Yes. Really, the place that I have power is now what am I going to do about it? Maybe I don't even need to go to I caused this, right? Maybe I can just start with, okay, what are my power? If I have any power at all, it lies in how am I going to respond to this? Yes, so that, that brings us back to the present moment of that life is in the present and not to be caught up in trying to manipulate the past because we cannot change it anyway. And, it, and, it, and, and in reality, it doesn't even exist except in our memories. So where does the past exist? There's only the present reality. So uh, I guess what you're saying is that if we keep attention on using our energy in the present, we are able to build whatever that future may be. Yes, yes. And, and the word memories come up a couple of times here, and I would like to just offer kind of a superficial uh, statement about memory, that we think of memories as a snapshot yes. in, of time and place. But really, the way the human uses memory and stores memory is, Every time we access a memory, our re-experiencing of that yes. is encoded in the memory in the in the core memory. Yeah. So if we're very happy when we're remembering a happy event, it it the the current energy of happiness is enfolded in that memory. If we're somehow really angry at that person and we're very contracted and grumpy when we have this memory of a perhaps happy time, the memory shifts a bit to a bit more negative memory yes. when yes. we access it. So this sense that there is a past that's so real that, that we can count on it, right? Is not very accurate. Right, exactly, because it almost seems like the memories we have are, they're only for guidance. Mm. You know, this is one of the things that I've tried to present, you know, in, with some of the people that, that I work with, is that the memories we have are just for guidance, that's all, to make our life even better. Even if the memory is negative, even if it's traumatic, there's something to be learned and gained from that. Say something about yes, and well, that's lovely. I, I like that you do that, and I like that you've brought it up in this conversation. And I would say that in allowing the memory 
to teach you something. Yes, exactly. Is such a masterful way to use your memory, right? Because mastery means I have enough power and control at this time to master this situation, right? Exactly. So takes, mastery takes work. It takes dedication and work. Ten, I, I can't remember the quote exactly or even who said it, but one of the really great tennis players said it took him hundreds and thousands of hours to get to his level of expertise in tennis. Yes. How many hours do we spend looking at how we think and how we act based on what we're thinking? I would say it's not hundreds and thousands of hours. So there's something that it would be wonderful if as a culture we could learn to value, which is know thyself. Right, 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 right. exactly. So part of know thyself has very much to do with recognizing that we have the storehouse of memory, recognizing <laughs> that there is energy flow that can expand or contract at any given time and to decide voluntarily using our free will using our sense of consciousness that uh, i can i can live a life of expansion mm. by deliberate choice by deliberate uh, decision you know so so the decision is not confused at all, like a decisional balance, you know, maybe I can do this, maybe I can't do that, that not like that. There's just a total clarity present in the, uh, in the present life that this is the right way to go. There's like, there's no confusion left at that point. Yes, yes, there aren't conflicting ideas and emotions. Exactly. There's an intention to bring our attention to our lives in a way that puts the power back in my hands. Yes, 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 that's very beautiful. It puts the power back in our hands. So that is almost indicative that power or energy uh, is something that we possess, we, we accumulate, we hold on to. Uh, and then perhaps even a greater realization that that power or energy is me. Yes. And I would say that I used to think it was a very radical thing to say, but now not so much. We hold the wisdom yes. to, that created our bodies. When we were in our mother's wombs, we womb, we went from a two-celled organism to a fully formed baby that gets birthed. Exactly. And then has a separate existence from the womb that held it and protected it while this very complex organism built its own body. Right, right. So that level of intelligence and power is phenomenal definitely that's within us you know in every single cell of our body 
we have strands of DNA, RNA, right? And, and for years, scientists used to say, you know, a great percent of this is just, they used to call it junk DNA. Yes. Now they're realizing, whoa, maybe not so much junk. Maybe with, with this expansion of our minds to try and hold what quantum means, yes. we begin to understand that we have wisdom within our own cells that we're not accessing. That's the bio memory. Yes, we're not bringing into our, the, at least the possibility of that into our consciousness. So really, and just to summarize, we just have a couple of minutes left here, that we have so much potentiality, so much power that we are, that, that we can awaken, you know, using the various modalities that Angel Wing is offering. And of course, people can access other help also if they need to, you know, like for more professional help or whatever. But we're providing a platform for everyone who is taking this journey with us to directly open up their potentiality, move into a state of expansion and move out of cyclical problems or cyclical destructive patterns. So you want to make some closing comments? Yes, I would just say that we shift out of our patterns by creating new neural networks in our brains. And that's what neural plasticity is. And that's this amazing reality, whether we access it or not, right. that until our last breath, we can still be creating new neural networks in our brain. Exactly. And with new neural networks, then we see and hear and think differently. Definitely. We have more choices within ourselves to access. Yes, it's a broadening of one's vision. It keeps, keeps expanding yes. further and further. Okay. Yes. Okay, beautiful. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Elizabeth Rubin. Very interesting uh, conversation. We, we, this is a podcast from Angel Wing uh, by Dr. Elizabeth Berman, uh, Berman on the expansion and contraction of energy and its related ideas. Look forward to many, many more uh, dialogues and discussions, and please do tune in to her Wednesday evening presentation if you have time. Thank you very much, Dr. Berman. Thank you, Sachin.